0: Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times, you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Susie On, and this is Reset. Today on the show, Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson CPS wants to bring some students back to the classroom after the winter break. But how's that going to work? Earlier this month, the district laid out concrete plans for in-person learning starting in January for pre-K and special ed. With elementary students returning in February, high school would remain remote. So is the time fast approaching to get back to the classroom? Joining me now is CBS CEO Janice Jackson. Welcome back to Reset.
0: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here. Now, uh, we mentioned, you know, some parents were shocked by the timing of the announcement the same day the governor announced Tier 3 COVID restrictions. Why was it important for CPS to get the plan out there?
0: Well, I think it was important for a number of reasons. Um, First, we heard from the very beginning that people wanted a much more comprehensive plan, and they also wanted more timing Um, in order to plan for uh, an eventual arrival of students back into the school. And we heard that from principals uh, as well as our families. I think we've all learned from COVID that things are very dynamic and change from time to time, but we thought that it was critically important that we provide our families with as much information as possible um, and to keep in mind that this was two months advance. So there's a lot that's gonna happen in the next two months. But what we wanted to make sure is that people were clear that we had a plan in place for the safe arrival of students back into our schools so that they can, you know, reap all the benefits from in-person learning.
1: Well, let's get into the plan a bit. Uh, Walk us through what CPS is aiming for come mid-January.
0: All right. So we would love we would love to see students in our pre-K through uh, eighth grades return to school over the course of the month in January. It's going to be a phased in approach. We have asked our parents to complete a learning preference form, which was emailed out um, last week. And it's due on December 7th. And in that form, uh, parents will have an opportunity on that form, I should say, uh, an opportunity to identify the best learning um, uh, situation for their children so they can opt to uh, continue with remote learning, which has been a choice throughout this process. But we're excited to finally offer in-person instruction for the thousands of families that have told us told us that that's important to them and something that they think their children would benefit from. Um, so we're asking parents to complete that at the Conclusion of winter break, we would start by inviting staff back um, in our cluster programs, in our primary, uh, in our early learning uh, programs, and then phase in the other grade levels over the course of that month.
1: Well, so the the return for um, at least the first group of students, January 11th, um, the Chicago Teachers Union has called that date arbitrary. Others are concerned that uh, cases might be even worse than considering it's about two weeks after the Christmas holiday. What was the thinking behind that date?
0: A couple of things. Um, Number one, we did take into consideration the winter holiday, um, and we believe that this gives us enough time for families to celebrate and for us to also identify any patterns um, that may be troubling and preclude us from starting school. We've made clear our uh, criteria for students returning to school. So number one, people should assume that we're going to open our doors on January 11th, unless it's deemed unsafe to do so. In the past, we weren't as clear about what unsafe would would mean. And we have published that information through our partnership with Dr. Arwady in the city's health department. And it is based on um, uh, the, the uh, reduction in, in, I'm sorry, the reduction in cases over time. And so I think it's important uh, for people to take a look at that plan and to delve in deeply, but we've considered a lot of the feedback that we've received from our families, um, as well as from the teachers union.
1: And that's a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, an 18-day period of, of uh, making sure that the spread hasn't doubled. Is that, or cases yeah, haven't they, doubled?
0: Yep, they would want to see a, a reduction um, in the, the case doubling. Right now, um, it, it's, I think it's at 18 days last time I checked. And so they would want to see that, uh, they would want to see, I'm sorry, at 12 days, they would want to see that at at least 18 days in order to feel comfortable with school resuming.
1: Now, we should note that this is a hybrid plan and uh, some students would be in person. And, and as you stated, um, families who would want to stay remote can choose to stay remote. Uh, what will school look like for those students who do choose to stay remote? Will they have a dedicated remote teacher or will it be a teacher who is simultaneously teaching to both sets of students?
0: Yeah. Um, one thing I want to point people to is that we did publish a parent hand a handbook that outlines what they should expect. And what we've made clear is that it will be a simultaneous teaching uh, model. We've seen that happen throughout the country and many other school districts that have opened. Um, So students uh, will continue to utilize the devices that they have in order to access the teacher and the work that they need to complete. Um, The big difference here is that the teacher obviously would be in the classroom with students, um, those students um, on his or her roster who have opted for in-person instruction.
1: You know, I've I've heard from teachers who are having to do that simultaneous teaching and and it's um, definitely a new experience, extra work. What kind of supports will be available to teachers uh, to kind of have to have two different brains and and teach to uh, two different audiences?
0: Yeah, well, one thing I'd say is this this entire uh, pandemic has challenged us, um, um, but one thing I am very confident in is that our teachers will rise to the occasion as they've done across the board. We've seen so much creativity from our teachers with regards to remote learning, and while there will be some challenges, I think it's important to note that uh, this is – a part of our new reality and we are providing professional development for our teachers um schools will have school specific plans to support their teachers um they're going to be looking at their calendars and their schedules in order to plan to allow for um preparation time for for our teachers um, so that they're able to do this but it's important to note that we've had this model. uh, We've seen this model implemented across the country, right here in Chicago in our um, Catholic and private schools. So we know that it's doable. The goal is to make sure that we're providing our teachers with the support through professional development and other guidance from our Office of Teaching and Learning in order to make sure that they feel supported in order to do this work. It is possible, um, but I do want to acknowledge the challenges um, in any environment that doesn't look like a traditional um, schooling environment for our teachers, but I have no doubt they're going to rise to the occasion and make it work for our children
1: yeah so then when kids are actually back in the building uh is there a plan to assess and address learning loss
0: yeah well we i think there are a couple things um chicago public schools has been a district on the rise and we've been um, tracking student progress for you know over a decade now and really proud of the progress that our kids have made Obviously, we intend to continue to to look for those patterns. But I want to make sure people understand that our primary focus is, number one, the health and safety of our kids and their social-emotional development. We will be looking to um, accelerate learning. Um, It's really hard to to play catch-up, so acceleration is going to be the name of the game for us. But the goal is to really try to get some semblance of normalcy for our kids and really make sure that they don't lose too much ground, which is why a return to in-person instruction is critically important. And critically important um, for the most vulnerable amongst us. When we publish data around student engagement and grades, enrollment, we continue to see some of the same disparities that plague the traditional education system. So we have a new system now. It's really important that we don't reproduce some of the same disparate outcomes that we've seen in in past situations. And that means when we see that fewer African-American and Latinx students are taking advantage of remote learning, we have an obligation. We have a moral obligation to get our kids back in school so that they don't uh lose more ground than they've already lost due to this pandemic
1: now, now you mentioned equity uh how are we seeing students fall through the cracks um during this remote learning time
0: i think the, the first thing that i want to highlight is the incredible work that has been done at the school level and in um, support with our community-based organizations we instituted at the beginning of the school year an all hands on deck initiative because we knew that this would be a challenge we know that some of the images that we see around remote learning and what these learning spaces look like, you know, that's not the case for a majority of the students in our school system. They rely on the schools for education, but for a lot more than that. And so we put a lot of systems in place to account for that. But it's only so much that teachers and principals can do if students are not there in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it is important to have an opportunity for students to come back um, inside of the building because we have to make sure that we're meeting all of their needs, academic and uh, social, emotional as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's been a challenge there. Uh, You know, we've seen a high number of COVID cases in black and brown communities in Chicago. And because of that, you know, we've we've heard from some parents who are saying they don't want to send their children back to school just yet. I mean, are you concerned that the in-person plan could, you know, maybe deepen inequity if if uh, those students who are disproportionately affected don't return?
0: Well, I don't think the plan will deepen the inequity. I think doing nothing would would have that effect. So I think offering an opportunity... Um, for many of our parents, many of whom are essential workers who have been exposed um, throughout this pandemic, uh, which led, which has led to uh, the disparate outcome you talked about earlier with regard to COVID cases. So I think providing families with some relief in a safe environment, in a safe manner, um, so that their kids can continue to be educated is probably the single most important thing the school district can be doing at this time to respond to the pandemic. I also think that we should be reminded of The the role that school plays in not just educating students, but educating communities and families. Uh, We really have to continue to impress upon everybody uh, the appropriate. Uh, mitigating strategies, hygiene, behaviors that will help us, you know, stop the spread of COVID, community spread throughout our city. And schools can play a big role in doing that. Um, We can bring our students in. Students tend to um, comply a lot easier (laughs) than adults. Um, And so we can bring them in and start to teach them why we wear masks, why we need Mm -hmm. to do the temperature Why social distancing matters and hoping that those um, behaviors carry over into the home and carry over into the community and can further help us reduce community spread.
1: Well, after December 7th, once um, you hear from uh, families, whether they they want to um, return to the school or stay remote, um, Mm -hmm. if if the balance is or I don't know if there's a, a, a balance that you're looking to strike or. Um, If enough students aren't back or have responded that they do want to come back, uh, what happens from there?
0: A couple things that are important to note. Uh, We are opening on January 11th unless it's deemed unsafe to do so. The families that opt in for in-person instruction will have that option. Um, So I want families to know they shouldn't worry about what percentage votes one way or the other. What our plan calls for is an option for everybody. The best option for every family. Um, we also know that um, we've looked at trends across the country, so we know a lot about um, opt-in rates and how many students show up. And um, so we're, we won't be surprised if there are fewer families um, uh, deciding to opt in than than you know the public may expect. I think the most important message here is that we will have an option for everybody. Those families who wish to remain in a remote environment will. Uh, have every opportunity and right to do so. But what I'm extremely excited about is that we are making steps to bring our kids back to school. And those families, many of whom have been serving us, and when I say us, I mean the public throughout this pandemic, will now have an opportunity for their kids to be supported during the day while they are out doing the essential work to support our community.
1: Now, the Chicago Teachers Union has come out against a return to in-person learning of the site of COVID cases amongst staff who have returned to the building. Um, How is the administration working to ensure faculty and staff are safe, uh, working with the union to to try to make this plan uh, work for everyone?
0: I think the the first thing is making sure that um, our staff knows what their rights are with regard to return to work um, and ensuring that they're in a safe environment. Staff with pre-existing conditions obviously are able to avail themselves to um, FMLA the application and the accommodations associated with that. Uh, We will have strict protocols in place around, you know, coming to work when people have symptoms. We're telling people, if you don't feel well, you should stay home. Again, making sure that the right PPE and other protocols are in place to protect our students and our staff is something that we take seriously, and it's critically important. I think, again, um, it's important that we work in collaboration with our partners at CTU. Uh, They give us a lot of good feedback and pushback on items, and, and we make adjustments as a result. I think the thing that we all all agree on is that our kids have to go back to school, that it is unacceptable that they, you know, are out of school longer than they Mm -hmm. need to be. And we know a lot more about how to um, educate kids safely um, in this uh, uh, COVID environment. Um, And so the the right thing to do is to make every effort to bring our kids back. And we have to, at this juncture, we have to start making progress towards doing that. Otherwise the question becomes when, if not now, then when. Mm -hmm. Our students, Deserve a right to an education. Kids are getting an education in Chicago and across the country in person. And the students in CPS deserve the same.
1: What about the teachers who, uh, you know, who do decide to take FMLA? I mean, or, or decide they won't come back. Is there concern that uh, there could be a staffing issue?
0: Um, oh, well, we, we've been modeling it out and we feel pretty confident in our ability to staff um, uh, in-person instruction I mean, teachers who qualify for FMLA will most certainly be afforded those accommodations. We want to do that. We want them to be safe. We want to allow them to contribute in a way um, that that allows them to do their job and to also uh, uh, do that in a safe manner and take their health into consideration. But everyone outside of individuals who qualify for FMLA accommodations are expected to return to work just as they would be in any normal environment. And if they fail to do so, they will be subjected to the same steps that we would take in any environment where people refuse to come to work.
1: Well, we'll continue to follow the plan. that Chicago Public Schools CEO Janice Jackson. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: All right. Thank you.
1: As Chicago Public Schools look forward to in-person learning, some Catholic schools in the area are taking the opposite approach and are going virtual starting today. Joining us now to discuss is Justin Lombardo, chair of the COVID-19 Task Force for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Justin, welcome to Reset.
2: Thank you, Susie, for having me.
1: Um, well, before we talk about uh, this this change here for some of the schools, briefly remind us about the schools and communities the Archdiocese of Chicago serves.
2: Um, great. Love to. In the in the and schools specifically, uh, which are primarily the primary schools, and uh, uh, middle schools, uh, we are serving over forty thousand students right now um, in person with uh, roughly uh, forty five hundred to five thousand staff mm-hmm. uh, that work in it. We cover three jurisdictions that might be of interest to the listeners: uh, the city of Chicago, the larger uh, area of Cook County, suburban Cook County, and Lake County. That's the venue in which the venues in which the archdiocese mm-hmm has parishes and thus have schools associated with it. So it's a fairly large operation, mm-hmm. much smaller, however, than CPS.
1: Right. Well, well the, tell us about um, this temporary shift back to e-learning this week for, for some schools. Which schools are transitioning, and, and what does the plan look like?
2: Well, Susie, I want to start by saying thank you for clarifying that it is a temporary uh, move or pivot, what we call a pivot, to either uh, remote learning in total or as a hybrid so that the school would do part uh, remote and part uh, uh, in-person learning for the period of time between Thanksgiving, starting today, and our break for Christmas. It's Roughly, there are schools across the whole archdiocese that have made, uh, in consultation with the central offices and the COVID task force, have decided to make a transition. Uh, It's roughly somewhere between 20 and 25% of our schools are making some variation away from full in-person learning during these three weeks. And it's for a variety of reasons. We surveyed the parents. We surveyed uh, principals. We looked at the general infection data uh, uh, down to the level of local areas within the archdiocese as well as the projections about travel and what was going to happen around that. And so looking at all those factors, as well as infection rates uh, and exposure rates within the schools that we've been able to track up to this point, we worked with uh, the schools to come up with uh, potential solutions for each one. So the vast majority are staying the course and continuing full-time in-person instruction, which, by the way, our survey told us both the teachers and the parents wanted us to do in many schools, and in schools where there were significant operational issues or a, a strong sense from both parents and teachers that they needed to move to a hybrid or to a, uh, uh, a virtual learning situation for a couple of the weeks between Christmas, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we uh, certified that.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit about um, that that feedback uh from um the 20 25% or so that that either wanted to move to a hybrid model or uh, fully remote um what kind of feedback were you getting what is it is it sort of a location based i know that uh the lake county um public health had had recommended that schools in the county uh go fully remote um you know was it sort of based on location or were you seeing schools in, in different parts of the area that um, the archdiocese serves that that you know it didn't really matter the location you just had individual schools that felt they needed to move in a different direction
2: it's really good question Susie, and it was um it was obviously in areas where we had a higher percentage because as you know our schools have had the option our parents have had the option of remote learning for their children all the way from the beginning of the year when we opened or for in person What we saw is some of the schools that had a larger percentage of uh, children already in remote, that the families had chosen remote, uh, continued to pivot in that direction and wanted more. But we did see a spread across a number of different areas in the archdiocese where some schools around a number of reasons um, decided to pivot. We did see a stronger percentage pivoting in areas that have a higher general infection rate, and that may be because of people's reactions to what's happening in the larger society. I will tell you this. One of the questions that was was uh, on the survey that, that we felt very good about the response was, irrespective of whether or not the school parents decided they wanted to pivot or stay in full virtual, we asked a very specific question about their level of comfort with the precautions and the protections we're providing in our schools and the numbers were overwhelmingly positive that our parents and families felt that our schools across the board were taking appropriate action to protect the students and the staff. Uh, But we did see a spread, a bit of a spread for uh, uh, schools deciding to move uh, uh, to either partial or complete remote for the three weeks. And some of it, quite honestly, was simply because of the the operational uh, stress and issues related to a number of our teachers having to teach both in person and uh, a significant number of remote people. And so it was just thought if that bulk of of responses around those questions about comfort level, uh, about ability to move remotely, etc. worked out, we would work with the local school.
1: Now, cases within the Catholic schools have been low, but, um, you know, you, you've mentioned previously that the Archdiocese hasn't been keeping track of the number. Uh, why not?
2: Well, it's, we, we look at the numbers and we look at them on a rolling average like others do as well uh, for what what the numbers are um, in it. Uh, the, the key thing we look to is spread. we Fully anticipated from the very beginning that we were going to have numbers of positives showing up in schools as well as in churches, as any organization would. Because, again, most of the transmission, and this is still the science that we know of today, is coming through familial channels or congregate activities outside of schools. Schools are fundamentally, uh, fundamentally safe we look at trends within the schools on a regular basis, mm-hmm. but the number itself is not as meaningful to us as the here is a positive case. And what we want to know is, is there any other traceable positive case related to that in our schools? And that would be something we would move on immediately because that would suggest a potential that the infection is coming from within the school. And And I'm happy to say... The numbers there are exceptionally low.
1: That's Justin Lombardo, chair of the COVID-19 Task Force for the Archdiocese of Chicago. Justin, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Susie. Well, that's today's Reset. And please take less than a minute to give this podcast a rating and a quickie review. It really helps us grow this community. I'm Susie On, your host here on Reset for the Next Two Weeks. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you right back here tomorrow.